0: Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we will be speaking about the VCE drama playlisted show Pinocchio by Rosa Campagnaro, Christian Baggin and Jasper Foley playing at La Mama Theatre produced by Make a Scene. You can find out more about Pinocchio season at La Mama by going to lamama.com.au. You can also go to makerscene.com.au to find out more about what they do. Please note, this episode was not recorded in the studio, so the audio quality is not as high as it usually is. Without further ado, I bring you Jasper Foley and Rosa Capagnaro discussing Pinocchio. Welcome Jasper and Rosa.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: Jasper, you've just returned from Paris to do this show.
2: Yeah, so I um, spent uh, six months developing this show with Rosa last year and uh, we got it to a point where we were able to travel it. And then I immediately jumped on a plane and headed to Paris to study at uh, École Philippe Collier, which is a world-renowned clown school. Uh, and, and physical theatre school, though, if you tell, if you say physical theatre in front of the teacher, he'll hit you with a stick because he <laughs> hates, hates the word physical theatre for some reason. But nonetheless, that's what it is. Um, so, and I'm doing a, a two-year course there, but I've taken a break from my studies to come back and
0: perform this show at La Mama. Uh, La Mama's a great place to perform.
1: Yes, very
0: excited. Mm. Can you discuss the conventions used in this performance and how they enhance the performance style?
1: Well, the conventions align with the style, which is Commedia dell'Arte. So the conventions of Commedia dell'Arte are mask, satire, parody, um, interaction with the audience or breaking the fourth wall, um, exaggerated movement and gesture and stylized and articulated movement and also the latsy and the games that we use in the performance it, there are um, lots of opportunities for the actor to play within the scene and to also play games with the audience.
0: Commedia is such a highly stylized theatrical style it really does lend itself to use so many different conventions for moving beyond reality of life as lived.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Definitely. I mean, the, the masks in themselves uh, bring a distance between the naturalistic. So you have a, a, something across your face and it's obvious to the audience that there's uh, something magical, something non-naturalistic going on from the beginning.
1: And also part of that non-naturalism there is an awareness of the audience and the actor's awareness of the audience. Um, and the awareness that this is a performance, so there's a lot of there's a few meta gags in there as well. Mm.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, one of the other really cool things about this form is it's uh, it's got a self-referential nature, so or, or a self-awareness in it. So we play with some of those um, codes and conventions that we set up by uh, then then breaking them or referring to them, yeah, in a few different ways. One of them is the uh, transformation of place and and size of things. So we go from uh, that the actor playing Pinocchio to having a Pinocchio puppet uh, within the the booth, and then to having a a finger puppet Pinocchio. Um,
1: And that also happens with the Fox character?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then playing uh, between those uh, different sizes having having characters of different size interact with each other.
1: And what's interesting is when you actually swap between those two characters, um, the masked Pinocchio has a slightly different voice, but the smaller puppet Pinocchio has a more high pitched voice, kind of to match mm. the size of the character. How many actors are
0: there in the piece, and how many characters do they play? Uh, one actor makes up the piece,
2: uh, and that would be me. And I think I'm playing. Uh, Five characters, mate? It might be seven. I think I play five and then uh, the audience gets to join in a bit with a couple of other characters.
0: The audience plays a character? Tell us
2: more. Yeah, so I was getting a bit tired and so we thought we'd fob it off to the audience. (laughs) Um, But that also establishes a really good um, actor-audience relationship. Um, It means we have direct play and it also uh, injects an element of improvisation because you can never predict what the audience is going to do. And so there's this exciting point whenever I refer to the audience where no one knows what's going to happen. And that's a big part of the fun for me.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you transform character? Do you do it live on stage, backstage, in the booth?
2: Yeah, there are a few different ways that, um, we, that I transform character. Uh, there are several um, character costumes set on stage at the beginning. And um, for, for the masked characters, often I'll, I'll transform in front of the audience. And... Um, uh, there are there are a few conventions I use to to make that happen, uh, but then there are also transformations within the puppet booth, and uh, that's where a lot of those um, uh, scale differences occur as well. So if I enter the puppet um, as, uh, sorry enter the puppet booth as Pinocchio, um, often the Pinocchio puppet will appear after that. Um, or or I might appear, uh, go in as Pinocchio and then appear as Phineas Fox interacting with the, puck, with the puppet.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you use your expressive skills to create or play two different characters?
2: Yeah, well, because I'm playing all of the characters, I've had to employ really different physicality for each one and different voices, um, yeah, totally different movement styles. So physicality is probably a good place to start. Um, with with Pinocchio, we developed the physicality of the character I play from the puppet that we use. Um, and uh, the puppet has uh, fairly fairly stiff joints. It um, uh, moves at the elbows and the shoulders and then the knees and the hips. And it's got a bit of a bobbly head. Um, and and I, I articulate that puppet with, with my hand. And so uh, we started by looking at those articulations and then working out how I could mimic them in my body. And ended up developing a, um, a, a a kind of wooden texture in in my movement for that character, um, and and that's fairly well juxtaposed by the Phineas Fox character, who's this uh, kind of slimy upper class English sort of fox and scoundrel, and a, a scoundrel, a con artist, and um, we we found this kind of uh, faux, posh voice when we were discovering that character and it went really well with balletic kind of movements.
1: But also there were a few things that that, um, that contributed to that physicality. One was that YouTube clip you found uh, yeah. which was just beautiful, of this fox hunting in the snow and um, we watched that quite a few times and then Jasper was inspired by the movements of this beautiful fox just kind of listening for this mouse in mm. the snow and then pouncing. Yeah. We used all those movements. And then the other thing that contributed was the music. So the fox has a specific theme that's been written by Felix Watson, oh, yeah, so who's good. our who's our sound uh, designer, sound composer. Yeah, composer. And initially we were like, oh we've got this this character, he's a bit balletic, he's a bit posh, we reckon a kind of tangoy waltz Sound would be awesome, and he created this piece. And so then we put used the music and these real fox movements and whatever Jasper discovered in improvisation, and kind of came up with this um, with this physicality for the character.
0: Mm. What a great way to find a character! Yeah, there's so many ways
2: in with. With characters, you can you can use uh, 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 one of the one of the things I love doing is using animals to find mm-hmm. to find a physicality in a character. But then there's influence from the costume, from the shoes you're wearing. They really inform how you move. Um, yeah, all sorts.
1: And the animals, of course, is very much part of the commedia. This fox mask is very much a fox. Um, but the other commedia masks, we have are kind of human masks with animal um, traits or animal characteristics. So the animal influence is very much part of the commedia mask and the conventions of finding the physicality and voice for the character.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you manipulate the dramatic element of mood?
2: What, there's one scene in particular where uh, Pinocchio gets into trouble at midnight and um, we we have a a curtain rail at the back which uh, changes our backdrop within the puppet booth and for this scene we have a midnight uh, backdrop um
1: forested
2: a forest silhouetted
1: forest yeah a moon in the background
2: Mm, and these kind of dark trees looming out but um it, it, it it's a good picture but as we were developing we 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 could feel, it was exactly that, it was mood that we needed. And so for that scene, again, we, we employed the audience to help us. So Pinocchio sets this scene and then he says, oh, some, something's missing. I know, midnight noises. And so we go around um, and select people in the audience to give us a bit of uh, <laughs> a, a mood sound. So we have a, a, an owl hooting and the rustle of the uh, leaves in the trees and the wind blowing through at midnight. Uh, and, it, and it creates kind of a, yeah, and wolves, yeah, yeah. Creates quite a, a, a spooky atmosphere, a spooky mood, but it's also infused with humour, of course, because it's yeah. so ridiculous having all these people making these noises. Scenes mm-hmm. within the story of Pinocchio are so full of different moods and tensions, and it's, and it's full of little vignettes too. Mm-hmm. So there, there are 37 chapters or something, and each one has its own little story. Um, so there was so much to draw upon in terms of building mood. Um,
1: Maybe the climax when he he uh, sees his father. So we have this whole ridiculous um, journey where he attacks a snake and runs away and gets caught by the um, by the farmer and made to become a guard dog and then mm-hmm. he finally escapes. He goes and finds his father and there's hope, and then he sees his father being eaten by the whale Mm.
2: it's a montage leading up to that moment and so it's very very high energy um for about a minute building the tension in the audience which ends in a still point with pinocchio trying to catch his father's attention as he's consumed by the sea by the shark and uh there's a moment of silence there after all that tension uh which which has a a mood of solemnity, I'd I'd say. It's one of the um, really, truly still points in the whole play, which is quite a a frenetic piece.
0: How else do you manipulate tension in Pinocchio? There's a a moment
2: of tension when Pinocchio is being introduced. The first time the audience gets to see the Pinocchio character, the masked Pinocchio, rather than the puppet. And um, I I come out of the puppet booth silently and interact with the audience silently. I come out and I look at them, and it's my first time out in the world. And at that point, no one knows what the performer, what I'm, what I'm going to do, because they've had no interaction with this character yet. And uh, I actually come out into the audience, and so <laughs> I'm getting quite close to people, and there's a bit of tension there. They're going, oh gosh, what's gonna happen? And um, usually, I'll go and grab someone's phone and start taking selfies, and then go, "Whoa,
1: hi, it's me, it's
2: Pinocchio. Um, and and that'll break that tension immediately.
0: Can you talk a little bit about rhythm and how you use rhythm in this piece?
1: Um, it's because it's comedy. We we employ the rule of threes a lot throughout the piece. So, watching it, you'll you'll notice that the punchline is often the third thing that happens and the way we set up the game with the audience it's the third thing that happens. Um, For example there's a scene with Candlewick and it's the moment where Pinocchio is going to be a good boy and going to do the right thing and suddenly Candlewick comes along and says yeah but come to Toyland and he's got this um, and he's, he's really conflicted and so we set up this game with the audience that every time Pinocchio turns around um, Candlewick has to say, yeah, but come to Toyland. And Pinocchio's like, what do you say?
2: Oh, uh, uh, oh no, I can't come to Toyland. I'd love to, but I've got to go. I've got to go away. I'm really sorry, Candlewick.
1: Yeah, but come to Toyland. Oh no, no, I really want to. You, you, oh, come on, Candlewick. I want to. You know I do.
0: You're my best friend, but i I got to go. I've got to go to school. I've got to be a good boy. Sorry.
1: Yeah, but come to Toyland. Oh, Candlewick, I would love to come to Toyland, but I just can't do it. All right, I'll
2: come to Toyland.
1: So it's kind of an example of how we set the audience up as another character to play the game, but also um, the, the timing for, for a gag.
0: You've already spoken a little bit about climax. Uh, is there any more you'd like to add? Yeah, so there, there's that
2: good one of the, um, the, the montage, the high energy leading up to the, the poignant moment where he loses his father. Uh, there's another one another one towards the end, uh, wouldn't want to spoil anything, but given that the story's 130 years old or so, I think people know that Pinocchio turns from a puppet into a person at the end, uh, and there's kind of an expectation from the beginning of the story that that's where it's headed. So we do have a moment, uh, a climax in the story, where after all of his trials and tribulations, the... Um, the combination of everything he's gone through leads to his being able to turn into a, a real boy or a real person. Um, and, and that, that recalls a lot of the things that has happened through the play. So we bring back the the audience's midnight noises that we were talking about before. And, uh, we bring back the, the blue fairy who's been involved from early on in the show. And, uh, everyone works together to,
1: to, to resolve, yeah, resolve. To... yes, because he, he transforms in front of the audience.
2: Mm. Yeah, I use, I use physicality and we use that, that tension and the mood again. So we, we build the, the energy in the room and the mood uh, through involving everyone that's been involved already. Uh, and and uh, I, I start moving in a very particular way. And as that happens, there's a transformation with the mask, the, ma- the Pinocchio mask uh, comes off and, um
1: spoiler alert
2: yeah, spoiler alert <laughs> and then
1: he's a real
0: person, yeah how is conflict manifested theatrically throughout the piece
2: there's there's a conflict uh early on between the Pinocchio puppet and Manjaforco, the owner of the theater, which Pinocchio crashes um and that that moves beyond reality in that I'm playing uh, manjaforco the the theater. Owner and I'm interacting with the, the puppet, who I'm also controlling. Uh, so the Pinocchio character is, is a wooden puppet at this point within the booth.
1: The puppet master is literally controlling the puppet. Yeah. Very meta, oh, meta. and symbolic. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how inner conflict manifests itself theatrically or physically on the stage?
2: Yeah, it does. Well, Pinocchio is so so conflicted. He's um, one of the, one of the main things that's going on within him is a uh, conflict of uh, I should do the right thing, but I want to do the fun thing. Um, and so often he'll he'll be on his way to school, and then he'll get distracted and do something else. He'll uh, know that he's supposed to go home to his father, but he'll see that there's something entertaining to do, and uh, that that manifests physically in the play where. My character is torn physically in two directions. Uh, so his feet will be going one way and his head will go another way. That sort
1: of thing. And then there's the use of music to, to, to distract you. Yeah. So, at the end, so that happens a number of times and he says, that's it, nothing will stop me. And then the music starts mm. and he changes course and that happens a few times. Can you talk about how sound is used to
0: enhance dramatic meaning? Yeah, so uh,
2: we've, we've employed sound in a in number of ways. We have a composer, Felix Watson, who uh, r- wrote music for the, the whole piece and it's used to underline the mood in certain scenes, to build tension in other scenes. Uh, one example of that is when we're introducing the Fox character and we get this very ominous opening um, music uh, which which builds and builds until it kind of crescendos into a... A, a tango, where the, where the fox, the villain, appears. Um,
1: the music, um, so we have a bit of a false ending where Pinocchio is hung from a tree, and actually originally Collodi wanted to end the play, sorry, the, the story there, but then there were protests from the audience, so he continued writing it. Um, but originally the, the, the story ended with Pinocchio being hung and dying. <laughs> it was yeah. quite brutal. Yeah. And so we have um, this Pinocchio theme that goes all the way through the piece, but at that point it's a more um, Mourn- ominous, mournful, mour- mournful yeah, version of that theme. Can you talk a little bit
0: about how space is used dramatically throughout the piece? Hmm.
1: So Eloise Kent has designed this beautiful set uh, and, and it's meant to reflect the kind of travelling show of a bygone era. And as part of that, we've got two prop stations at the front, which um, it's quite symmetrical, isn't it, in terms of space? Hmm. And um and just gives that that impression of this, you know, small pop up theatre uh, in the middle of a town square, if you like. And so that's the way we've we've staged it, is to kind of give that yeah impression, give
2: pride of place to that as well. That that impression of the bygone era, era and and that that booth draws the attention straight away. And uh, really, in the play, we've got. Two main spaces set out within the booth, and then everything that goes on outside of it. Uh, and so, within the booth, it's a very focused uh, area of performance. It's a small um, space that you can see. Probably, uh, what is it, ninety by ninety, ninety centimeters by ninety centimeters?
1: Uh, the the length of the booth. Yeah, or the, or the width the, sorry.
2: of the area that you can see.
1: Yeah, it's. I, a, it's
2: I think a, it was that. Yeah. But. Um, Outside of that, we've got the whole theatre space to play with. So every every time I come out of the booth, I can go anywhere I want, we've got two um, stations either side of the booth where I have props and costume. And so a lot of uh, my... I, I return to those spaces uh, a lot. And then from there, I'm able to approach the audience uh, and... and Use the whole space as much as I can and balance the space as best I can as well.
1: Which in itself is an example of using space to move beyond reality because we're getting, we're, the, the actor is changing in front of the audience. There's no, this, you know, we know this is theatre, we know this is a performance. Mm. Um, it's not like he's changing backstage and making it look like there's several actors playing the one. Um, mm.
2: um, but- one uh, very specific example of using space um, comes in that montage where Pinocchio has an interaction with a pigeon, which he ends up riding. Uh, and I, I play both those characters at that point and, and switch positions each time I switch characters. So I go from one side of the stage to, uh, one side of the stage, playing Pinocchio to the other side, playing the pigeon, and then they come together in the middle when Pinocchio starts to ride
0: the pigeon. Can you talk about how the set, the costume, the lighting or other production roles are used symbolically?
1: Well, in terms of lighting designer um, design, we have a woman called Adelaide Hanby and she's, she's designing the lights uh, for the La Mama season. Um, we've also been touring this show to schools, so the lighting we have is very simple. We've got a couple of lights inside the booth to kind of make the masks pop and to light the backdrops. Um, and in terms of lighting, I've discussed with Adelaide that because we want to reflect that travelling show, vintage travelling show feel, um, we're probably looking at uh, a bit of a straw wash throughout the piece and with a couple of specials on the, on the um, props stations, but it's more about um, the actor as opposed to fancy lighting changes.
2: It's a very interactive set um, to go with a very interactive show. And so there are magical moments where uh, things hidden within the set, which are not uh, visible uh, unless you really know where to look, suddenly appear. And uh, in that scene where Pinocchio crashes a theatre show and uh, has a conflict with Manja the, the set itself opens up at the top and reveals uh, the sign for the puppet theatre, which is ringed in fairy lights, uh, and that's symbolic of the, the streetlights that you see.
1: On billboards. Yeah, yeah
2: on yeah. billboards, yeah.
0: And how about costume? Yeah, there's an underlying costume,
2: which is the narrat- narrator's costume. I mean literally underlying. It's the one that I keep on uh, the whole time. And uh, we designed that costume with the travelling traveling storyteller in mind. So that storyteller is there underneath the whole time, telling the story through the characters that he is portraying.
0: For teachers and students trying to find out more about Make a Scene or Pinocchio, where can they go?
1: Uh, makeascene.com.au. We have a whole page dedicated to Pinocchio with a trailer of the show, and um, a lot of the music that we were talking about, mm. that's on that page as well, so people can go and have a listen. Um, There's also our published, Currency Press published version of the play and that's worth reading before coming to see the show. Yeah,
2: definitely, and it's also uh, an interesting resource in that you can see where we were in the development uh, at publishing and where the play will be as we develop uh, through the season.
1: Exactly, that's a good point because, um, because of the nature of Kumadia, is, and the way we developed this show yeah. was through play to begin with. So, poor Jasper, we got him up one day, it was a, like a 40 degree day, our first <laughs> rehearsal, and we said, Tell us the story of Pinocchio. And you went for about three and a half hours. Yeah, it was
2: a three um, hour improv. <laughs> three
1: hour improv. And um, Christian, the director, and I were madly taking notes and, oh, that bit was really nice and that line was funny. And that's how it was developed to begin with, which is which is how Commedia is developed through improvisation mm. and play. So we have a, a script and it's kind of a working script because yeah. we're revisiting it now. We start rehearsals again today and we're looking at more games and other ways to, to play those scenes. Mm. So it will be interesting for people to read the play and then see how it's evolved because it was published five months ago, I mm-hmm. think, yeah.
0: Thank you for your time today, Rosa Campagnaro and Jasper Foley.
1: Pleasure, Nicholas Waxman. It's been wonderful. Yeah,
0: thanks for having us. We
1: look forward to seeing you at the show.
0: If you would like to find out more about Make a Scene, go to makeascene.com.au. If you would like to book tickets for Pinocchio, please go to lamamatheatre.com.au. That is all from us at The Aside. If you would like to make a suggestion for a future episode or you have a question to ask us, do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you, Aaron Searle, for providing the music. Thank you, Drama Victoria, for your ongoing support. And, of course, thank you for listening.